0: I think many christians are uncomfortable with the idea of wealth doesn't the bible say money is basically bad and it's wrong to be rich well there's a verse in ecclesiastes that teaches very clearly how we should think about wealth ecclesiastes 5:19 says as for every man to whom god has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor this is the gift of god i think there are two really important things to notice about this verse The first is that the riches and the wealth and the ability to eat of it or to enjoy it, it's all a gift of God. Now there are a lot of bad things you can do with wealth and it brings a lot of challenges and temptations with it. But the explicit statement in this verse is that wealth is a gift, so we should give thanks and enjoy it as such. The second important thing to notice is that the concept of wealth is not at all separable from labor. We need to avoid at all costs any desire to get rich quick or get rich easily. Wealth is meant to be enjoyed as a fruit of our labor, not as an alternative to labor. All right, if you've been following the Target and Bud Light stories at all, I think this will be a really interesting conversation for you. Today, I'm talking with Evan Frazier. Evan is a financial advisor who specializes in biblically responsible investing for Christians. On this episode, we talk about how activist investing companies have a major influence over what goes on in companies like Target and Bud Light, and how that influence played a role in each of those companies' recent fiascos. We then talk about what biblically responsible investing looks like, why does it matter, what kind of companies you invest in, and how do you find companies that line up with your values. I'm your host, Landon Buto, and this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please enjoy this week's conversation and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM or if you know someone who'll be getting a mortgage soon, connect with us at clevelandstreet.com. All right, Evan, well, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to uh, getting right into it. Today, we're talking about how to avoid woke companies when you're investing, but more generally, we're talking about how to invest in a way that's consistent with your values. Um, So first, I wanna talk about just kind of the big thing on everyone's mind, what was going on with Target and Bud Light? Um, You know, we talked a little bit before and you were saying there's kind of more going on behind the scenes than just um, Bud Light didn't see, you know, it was obvious to everyone else that they were hurting their business. So why didn't they change courses? Um, You were saying there's a little bit more going on there. Um, So can you walk us through what was going on kind of behind the scenes with that?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So... One of the things that we have to look at is really over the last 20 years is what we call kind of the rise of the activist investor. So um, these large funds that come in and they want to change something about the company. Now, a lot of times what they kind of start out with is these were investors that were looking at companies that were underperforming or were very inefficient around in a way and they would come in and they would... Um, work to try and improve the board and whatever it is that they specialized in. What has that has morphed into is now people coming in with political agendas and ideas Mm -hmm. and using that activist shareholder power to Mm -hmm. force these companies into doing things like that. One of the bigger ones is a lobbying group called the Human Rights Campaign, um, they are the largest LGBTQ lobbying group in America.
0: Hmm.
1: About 20 years ago, they created something called the Corporate Equality Index, or the CEI. Okay. And what they would do is they would rate companies on a scale of zero to 100 on how LGBTQ friendly they these companies are to their employees and to that community. Okay. Now, what happened then is, by itself, doesn't mean a whole lot, but what a lot of these activist investors would then do is they would come to companies like a Bud Light, like a Target, and say, hey, you know, if you don't improve your CEI score, then we're either going to push to have you removed as the CEO, or we're going to pull our investments out. Okay, Hmm. Larry Fink, um, the manager and CEO of BlackRock, uh, is came out about five or six years ago talking about how it is their duty to start pushing for these things around climate change, yeah. about social responsibility, things like that. And more recently, you'll see he's trying to back, backpedal from that a little bit in the public sphere.
0: Okay,
1: mm. Why do these companies have so much power, though? Well... BlackRock and Vanguard are the two largest asset managers in the United States. They manage about $17 trillion between the two of them, which is almost equal to the United States' entire GDP. Okay, so they have a lot of money uh, and uh, a lot of control on that, okay? Mm -hmm. And so... They have a lot of sway in decision making on on what these companies do. To give you an example of that, um, right now, thirty four percent of Target is owned by a combination of Vanguard, American Fund, State Street, and BlackRock. These are four of the biggest money managers out there. Which means if you have a four hundred one k or an IRA investments, there's a high likelihood, a nine percent chance that You're using one of those four companies to invest your money, okay? Mm. But if we take a step back from that, the next biggest shareholders are Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and J.P. Morgan. But guess Mm. who the biggest shareholders of those four companies are? It's BlackRock, Mm. uh, you know, American Funds, and and them. And so kind of through these layers and layers, they have lots and lots of control over how these companies
0: are run and, and what they're doing. Interesting. Okay. So uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously everyone knows Bud Light made their marketing decision, Bud Light lost tons of money. Uh, You mentioned uh, how long ago, five years ago, it was that the the CEO?
1: Yeah, I think it was about five years ago where Larry Fink kind of came out and said, hey, this is going to be a major decision when we decide what to invest and how we invest our client's money.
0: Okay. How have they fared since then uh, it obviously hasn't been as public um mm-hmm. has that affected blackrock much business-wise
1: not yet um it's starting to within the last year or two um and the problem with it is that blackrock doesn't always play fair. And so a lot of times when you have that much money, they're able to negotiate sweetheart deals with the government. There's been some, um, questionable stuff down, down in Mexico with their oil companies. And so when you've got that much money and you control that, it hasn't really been as big of a, hasn't been as much blowback yet. We're starting to see that this year though. Hmm. Um, and I think that that, it'll take a lot of time before they're kind of knocked off that throne. I don't think it's going to be something that they can lose that kind of power within a year or so, but I think you are starting to see that decline. I know one of the issues is people are like, well, you know, we look at um, Bud Light and how much money they've lost. Problem is Modelo is one who has come up and is now uh, surpassed Bud Light. Well, Modelo is owned by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I think one of the issues is until people start looking more local uh, Mm. in those things, then how interconnected a lot of these things are can be very difficult to see and Mm. and know who owns what.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So that uh, I I briefly read a little bit of an article talking about uh, a former uh, Anheuser Bush executive. Talking about how this was actually what you know, there was a strong push from from BlackRock and uh, in that decision uh, to to maintain Bud Light's Bud Light's position and you know not to try and compromise at all. Um, was there any Was there any conversation like uh, how much control does I guess Anheuser Busch have over it? Um, what what would be the consequences for them from BlackRock if they were to say, okay, this, you know, we, you know, besides the, even if they didn't say, you know, morally, this was a, a bad thing to support. Even if they just said, you know, these this is not what our customers want. This is not what our customers support. We made a wrong decision there. Um, ha- has there been real conversation with BlackRock there? What does that look like?
1: So... It's very difficult to know what happens behind the scenes because a lot of times these conversations are, you know, held behind closed doors. Yeah, I would point to maybe there there is a uh, article from the New York Post that talks. They interviewed some CEOs anonymously um, that said, "Look, we care less about the politics one way or the other. We, we just want to make our product, make our beer, or whatever." Um, but that they are scared uh, of them. And so I think one of the things yeah. of they realize uh, that they, they're easily replaced. Okay. Now BlackRock mm-hmm. is not going to come out and say that this is why we're replacing you. Um, there might be other, there are other ways to kind of force those. Um, but it's, again, it's behind the scenes. So we're not going to see as much of that, but I know there have been yeah. articles written where they've said in private, we are scared of this.
0: Yeah. So have we have we seen any uh, companies that uh, BlackRock has a has a stake in that have had conflict and have decided to push against um, kind of that the activist decisions of BlackRock?
1: So again, those those conversations are typically held behind the scenes, so it's hard to see for that. I can sure. talk yep. about other companies that. Um, have spoken publicly, they don't necessarily have BlackRock as a manager. So some of them are private companies, so they just they answer to themselves. But mm. companies like uh Shopify and another mm. uh software company called
0: Basecamp uh have done it. So Basecamp When you say done it they've they've not gone with the the agenda with the broader agenda you're saying. They've pushed against it.
1: Yep. So Basecamp's a great example of this uh they kind of came out and they said, look, what we have found is that allowing for these political discussions and arguments to happen at work, it's causing uh, strife between employees We're focusing on that rather than on writing software. And they came out and they banned um, the people talking about these things while they're at work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because Basecamp had a, a large amount of people, not a large amount. They had a, what i they call it, A small vocal amount that were agitating for Basecamp to take sides on this. And Basecamp said, we don't mm-hmm. want to take sides. Now mm-hmm. what they did is they came out and they offered everyone. They said, look, you know, based on how long you've been here, we're going to offer a severance package. No questions asked. If you want to leave, um, then you can leave. And they had about 18 of their 57 employees take it. Now, how many of those took it because they were looking for a new opportunity and they wanted the severance or how many of them took them because they were mad about the politics? Right. We'll never know. Sure. Um, but base camp is still around. Seems to yeah. be doing well. Uh, again, they're private, so we can't necessarily look at their <laughs> profitability sure. numbers, um, but we are seeing them they're where they're coming out and, and saying, yeah. look, just keep it neutral.
0: All right, sorry for the interruption. Just a quick reminder that when your friends mention that they might be thinking about buying a house or refinancing, you can do them and us a huge favor by mentioning that you know a great lender and sending them to clevelandstreet.com. It'll be a huge help to us at CSM, and hopefully it will save your friends lots of time and stress looking for a lender they can trust. It's helpful to hear a little bit about, I mean, like you said, there is a lot that's genuinely behind the scenes that we that we really can't know about. Um, but it is helpful to, to have a little bit beyond just the headlines of what's going on. Um, if you're someone, uh, I want to want to pivot to just kind of personal, personal investment finance decisions. Um, like I said, there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, supporting, supporting businesses that have values that align with you. Um, you know, public square is doing a lot with the, the actual, um, consumer facing businesses, uh, to be able to help people identify and, and other companies there's, um, to be able to help people, um, make, make purchasing decisions that are consistent with their values and support businesses that are consistent with their values, or at least aren't promoting, um, values that are, that, that are entirely inconsistent, um, it's harder to do. It seems like on the investment side, um, let's just start with why, why it matters. Uh, I know that's something that you talk a lot about. Um, why, why, why does it matter that where your money goes? Um, what, what effects are you seeing? Um, how, how does that impact the businesses that you're connecting to? Is it just a, um, is it just a personal return decision? Like how much? How much can I get out of this? Um, why, why does it matter to make biblically responsible investment decisions, and what what do those look like?
1: Absolutely, I think from a starting point from a from a Christian viewpoint, and when we look to the Bible to to kind of guide us on these things, uh, I think a good verse here is, is Deuteronomy twenty three eighteen. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog in the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God, right? And so I think the things that we have to to look at and say, as a steward of our money, all right, we've been given this money as as a gift from God, you know, even if it's just a little part of it is tainted, is that okay to bring that tainted money to God. And as a Christian, I would have to say no. Um again, Proverbs 16, 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So I hmm. think from that standpoint, we have to look at it and say, even if we were going to give up a uh, some return, which I don't think we have to give up return on. Sure. Even but even if we did, hmm. that is what we are called to do as Christians. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And no, I I would uh I, I think that that you're making a distinction here. Between, um, you know, using things that are tainted, that other, you know, that have at some point been tainted, uh, or in other words, you know, food offered to idols, um, versus being involved in that and, and promoting and and, and supporting that. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, well, we'll use Apple as an example, right? Apple actually derives a, a certain portion of its revenue from... Pornography. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I shouldn't use an iPhone? No. Um, I don't use my iPhone for pornography. It's not inherently an evil uh device, uh, things like that. But on the flip side of that, to profit from the sale of that pornography, I think is an inherent evil. And so, uh, again, it's the difference between, as you said, you know, meat sacrifice to idols versus actually profiting from truly
0: immoral things. So, practically speaking, the difference there is using an iPhone versus you would be profiting from it if you're investing in Apple. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yeah.
1: Now, I think the larger impact that this faith-based or biblically responsible investing, whatever you want to call it, can have is, uh, I think a great example of that is one of the companies that I I work with is called Inspire Investing. And they specifically have set out to build faith-based investments that people like you and I can use. One of the things they do with that, though, is that as a large shareholder, when they own large amounts of a company, just as we talk about those activist shareholders that were pushing for morally questionable stuff at the beginning, they actually can use that and fight back the same way. So, a good example is there's a, a bank in the Midwest called MT Bank. And MT Bank um, was starting to what we would call deplatform or debank certain Christian celebrities saying, you know, we don't want your business because you're a Christian and you're saying these things in the public square. So they actually pushed back and they were able to force M&T to kind of admit what they were doing and then push back and, and get them to say, hey, we're, we won't be doing this anymore um, mm-hmm. and, and work on that. So I think that there are good things that they can do, but they can't do that if people aren't investing using their funds, Right, because Mm -hmm. you need that that kind of manpower behind you. So again, one of those things that as you're doing this, you know, what is what is my little amounts compared to 18 trillion? Well, again, when we come together as a large group, that little amount becomes a big amount that we can actually affect positive change in our in
0: our world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, How are you? How are you determining? the, the dividing line, where, where is the line on the kinds of companies that, you know, make sense to invest in. And, and you kind of just talked about some principles of um, profiting from it versus, but, but say you take that principle of, of, I'm not going to invest in and profit from these, uh, these things that are directly contradictory to my beliefs. Um, So where do you, where do you draw the line? Um, Is it half, does it have to be kind of Christian businesses or bust or um, where do you draw the line? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So the nice thing about some of the tools um, that we have access to in the way we screen so inspires one of the companies and others called Timothy plans. And so they do a lot of that screening for me um, as I'm working with clients, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a specifically Christian company. It can be a neutral company, right? It just can't violate Christian norms. So typically a hard line is abortion, pro-life issues, hmm. um, things like uh, alcohol, gambling, um Also, you know, with the big thing of sound of freedom right now, like looking at supply lines, how are you um, treating employees in third world countries? Are you using trafficked labor and things like Mm -hmm. that? Um, Those are hard lines that we do not cross. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. But it allows for companies like uh, an example, one would be James Smucker, you know, the food company, the jams and things like that, peanut butter and Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. That's neither christian or not but yeah they you know they don't participate in those types of issues um yeah so we can work with them mm. and keep yeah
0: going. yeah makes sense so on the on the return side you mentioned earlier you know you don't think you have to choose between um making a a genuine profit a genuine return and investing in companies that align with your values uh, how have you seen, is there, a, is there a, a delta between when people are just purely investing for where they think there's going to be a return and when when they're trying to be aligned with their values? Um, is there a trade-off there? You know,
1: 10, 15 years ago, there would have been a trade-off. Um okay. But nowadays with, you know, improvements in research and how we're looking at companies in, in the rise, what we might call index investing. Um, it allows us to get large amounts of uh, large groups of companies within there. So instead of having to worry about, all right, these 10 companies that I picked, you know, are they going to do as well as they can? We can still find, you know, 200, 300 companies that, meet those screen criteria, but it will still give us a uh, an average, just like a normal index fund would have that kind of average. And you know, what these different research companies found is once you get to that large enough number, the averages end up being the same. Hmm. Uh inspire's done some good work around that and kind of showing yeah. and partnering with some different colleges to to do that research uh yeah. on
0: there. That's great. So if you are um if you are interested in kind of making a shift towards that, if either um, I, I'm if you're someone who's who's actively investing already and in, um, whatever that looks like, index funds, stocks, um, what what are some steps you can start taking to get uh, to make sure that your your investments align with your values?
1: I think the first thing you have to do is you have to get a good understanding of where you're at today and how bad the problem is. So Mm -hmm. one of the tools that I typically start with with my clients is they'll give me a list or they'll give me the statements of here's what I own, whether it's 401ks, IRAs, taxable accounts, whatever the investments are. And I will take that list and I've got a tool that we run it through and it creates a report Um, and the report will tell us, all right. You know, here are some areas where the company is excelling on human rights or, you know, being a good steward of the environment. But, you know, on the flip side, they're paying for their employees to go to another state to get abortions or hmm. they're manufacturing bombs, um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step is always to get an understanding of how, how bad it is. And I always like to run that report first. And then from there, um, working through how do we fix that, and then how do we fix any other financial planning issues? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I've, I, Evan, you showed me this tool. It's pretty fun. You get a whole color-coded sheet. It's pretty fun to look at. So, just for that, you know, that's probably worth it.
1: Absolutely, and I think what we'll do is um, uh, in the show notes later, I can uh, give you a, a example copy that if people want to come and see what that would look like, they can look at that before having me run one for them
0: perfect yeah uh, yeah because I think I mean what it does is it objectifies um this sense of are you doing something good or some or not with your money um it kind of objectifies what those companies are doing um, which I think is is really valuable um, you know versus just a general sense of is Amazon a good is Amazon a good company is is Apple a good company is Smucker a good company? um you know it takes out the the subjectiveness of it and shows you what you're doing what you're supporting what you're profiting from like you said um so you know is that something you can do on your own are there tools tools available out that out there for that kind of thing uh, at what point would you recommend someone working with an advisor
1: yeah <laughs> i think that the decision to work with an advisor happen for a lot of different reasons at different points in your life. Um, a lot of times people think that advisors are only for people who are getting close to retirement and have millions of dollars. The problem with that is that A lot of times the biggest mistakes are made at the kind of the beginning of your investing career. And so having someone that can help with issues around cash flow planning, debt planning, those types of things, even when you may not have a lot of money to start with, getting a plan in place uh, for those is really important. But at the same time, um, a lot of mistakes can be made right before you're ready to retire as well. So it's always good to have someone who can guide you through the beginning, but also as you near the end, um, that can help you uh, avoid major pitfalls there. What I always tell my clients is that um, failing to plan is planning to fail. And so Mm -hmm. without that plan, um, no matter what level of money you have, it's not going to end up well for you. So I would say anybody along that journey can always benefit from having a second set of eyes.
0: Yeah. So I'll say, um, how, how does the, how does the, like compensation process work for financial advisors because I've had, uh, I've, I've heard, you know, before that, because yeah, I, I, I've kind of had the sense of, you know, financial advisors are for when you have a lot of money and each small decision matters a lot. Um, that's just kind of been my, my general sense, um, and you can't even really justify paying for one until you get to that point. I I just have zero concept of, of what that process looks like. And I think it's probably same for, you know, people when they come in to get a mortgage, it's kind of the same thing. You're like, I don't know when you get paid here. um, Or, you know, it's not, it's not a sticker on the front. Uh, So what does that, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So And this is kind of one of the things that can be a little tricky around the investing world because there are a lot of different ways to get paid and a lot of hidden ways that Mm -hmm. advisors can get paid. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I always tell clients is make sure that the company, not just the advisor, but the company that you're going to work with through there is set up as a fiduciary. Okay. And what a fiduciary means is that I have a legal responsibility to do what is in the client's best interest at all times. And not every advisor has to follow hmm. that rule. Okay. Um, so usually you might look like Fidelity. Fidelity is set up as a brokerage firm. They don't have to meet that rule of doing what's in your best interest, they can just say, hey, here's a product, I recommend you buy it, and then when you buy it, they get paid, right? Typically, but not always, but typically the way a fiduciary will get paid is usually just a flat percentage of the assets that they're managing. Um, so that way, it's not supposed to skew them towards one product or another. They're supposed to be more objective uh, around mm. that. The okay. way I work with my clients is is twofold. Um, so Uh, for clients that are just getting started out and maybe they don't have a lot of assets, but need help around getting out of debt, you know, looking at estate planning issues, um, student loans, all that kind of stuff. We'll do a combination where there'll be like a a monthly cost of about $200. And then uh, once they reach a certain amount of assets, it flips over to the um, assets under management model. Now, why I always say, you know, well, I can't afford that. Well, if I save you a couple thousand dollars a year just on debt planning or other mistakes that people make, uh, typically the value that I'm able to find and bring um, is a big deal. Right now I'm working with a client where I uncovered we're going to save him about $500 a month by building a better budget, um, which is way more than he's going to pay me. And that's just Hmm. a budget. So. Hmm
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense. It's super helpful. Um, so if people are interested in connecting with you specifically where's a where's a, I, you know obviously we can put some of this in the show notes uh, where's a good good place for them to be able to reach you
1: Absolutely you can always check out my website which is techwisefinancial.com and you can email me at Evan at techwisefinancial.com. I'm also on LinkedIn uh, as well. That's a good place to to see stuff that I'm writing and and reach out to me on there as well.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, yeah, we will put that in the show notes. Um, one more question before we wrap up, Evan. Um, you know, we've been a little bit of, uh, all over the place today. What's if people can take away one thing from from the the, the conversation of biblically responsible investing? Uh, what would you encourage people to remember?
1: Yeah, I think that they just need to kind of look deep down and ask themselves. You know, do I want my money? To align in a godly way and once they kind of have to answer that cell so for themselves yes or no then they have to take steps from there but that's the first step is you have to admit to yourself i want i want this is what my life to be like i want it to to be aligned uh, financially spiritually all of those things um and then from there i think taking the next steps to fix it is where it all kind of flows from
0: awesome great that's super helpful thanks so much evan Really appreciate your time Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to work is good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else leave a review and listen next week.